And this is Deion Dawkins, man. And you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast. Season 9, episode 20, our 20th episode. Joining me today, almost a full house, Kyle Gauss, not able to join us today, but Rymir Vaughn. Declan Landis and Johnny Zwislak are with me. We got a great episode heading your way. A lot of Temple men's and women's hoops to discuss some football recruiting updates and answers to all of your mailbag questions. The scoop once again is brought to you by Greenspan and Greenspan injury lawyers. If you've been injured while on the road or the highway and the crash was someone else's fault, the insurance company is not going to be on your side. You need us Temple law grads will fight hard to get the compensation that you deserve. We only get paid if we win. So in Pennsylvania or New York, Calls today at 215-261-7359. That's 215-261-7359. And you can find them on the web at greenspans-law.com. That's greenspans-law.com. Gentlemen, you're looking handsome, dashing, refreshed. Done. At least two of the three. <laughs> refreshed. Keep going. Keep going. Not, not handsome? Oh, handsome and dashing, not refreshed. Not refreshed? Yes. Why not refresh? I, I don't know. This break has not been as restful as I was hoping it would be. And we are back to the grind in a few days. So You never got to the one thing that I put on your holiday to-do list, which was to have our former Alscoop.com staff member and current NJ.com reporter and Eagles beat writer Caden Steele offering his own rendition of Twas the Night Before Christmas, which I would have died for. Yeah, it, it won't be seasonal, but it is coming. I've already it. I've already planned it out. I just haven't had time to sit down and record it. I mean, that's been the nature of this break. So I got the it. second I get some free time next week, it'll uh I'm gonna pop over to the studio and, and make some magic. If we implement the Christmas spirit all year round, I just think we're gonna be happier. The granite that's coming from a nutbag like me, who I, I still have this this tree up in the background. I've taken some decorations down, but not all of them. So it's the epiphany, John. You know, the ki- the wise men are already here. Yeah, it's time, right? Yes. I just want to just want to clarify. <laughs> Got to see Johnny Wednesday night yes. at the game. You and Ryan and Jason were very thrown off by the fact that I was drinking boxed water. Yeah, that I I was not expecting that at all. Like, I, like we we went I went a whole half without noticing, and then I, at halftime I looked over and I was like, wait, what is that? Is that what? And then it, it just it was like it was a white box that said boxed water is better, or something like that, and I was very confused. Yeah, I picked it up at the Hip City Veg in uh, beautiful, beautiful Ardmore, Pennsylvania at Suburban Square. No free shout outs, but yeah, no free ads, no free ads. Just I, I was thinking when they texted it that it was coconut water, but it was just straight up. It was just water. That's that's yeah. what threw me yeah. off. I, I, again, again, all, I'm, I'm not saying like the great job saving the environment. That's not what I was saying. I was more saying like I just I wasn't expecting just to see like boxed water. Not that I'm a chronic soda drinker, but I'm trying to. Trying to drop a few pounds, trying to to cut out sugar. Drinking water is a good thing. And so when I stopped by Hip City Veg, I, I did. I asked them, I said, do you guys have bottled water? And they said, we don't. We have boxed water. And I looked down oh. and lo and behold, there was the boxed water. So, All right. That's a little pretentious. Like we knew. No, it is. It's, it's better. On, it's better for the environment. It's better for you. I mean, it's really not good. To no, you. but I, I'm saying like it is. It's great that it's in a box and it's helping the environment. But like. If you're asking for a bottle of water, they know what you mean. Like they should have just given. No, it but to they you. did. You know I, they did. And to be to be fair to them, and this is more than they ever thought we would talk about the Hip City Veg and Ardmore. But they did not. They no didn't say it with with tone. They didn't say, "Um, excuse me, we don't have bottled water." They didn't say it like that. They said, "No, we don't. We have box water." So it was very friendly and not pretentious. There was no tone. Isn't plastic recyclable though? It is. It is recyclable, but. You know, you generally want to try to stay away from, you know, no matter how much they say this is, this is, well, that's more like worth cans or BPA stuff. But yeah, you generally want to try to stay away from drinking stuff out of plastic. Mm. Not good for you. Have I been perfect with that? No, none of us have. Johnny's <laughs> drinking, drinking some bottled water. Oh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's terrible. Got my refillable one. There you go. Good yeah. for you, Declan. Good. Yeah, you're darn right. You're darn right. Declan was wearing a little beanie, little beanie cap. Just looks adorable. Thank you. I told Johnny it was either this or comb my hair, and 
you know, we had to make some other decisions today. So, but every time I wear this, my, my dad asks me, what ship am I unloading today? Yeah. He asked me if the, the dull banana boat was coming in today. So <laughs> different variations on it. He's very it? good at riffing. He always, it always makes him laugh. So yeah, but you guys all have great hair. I have mid forties guy hair and it's not as it's not as flowing as like you Declan, you have like you you could grow yours out and look like a rock star. You know, you could you could very quickly just comb your hair and just be all set to go, right? Um I appreciate the sentiment, but it takes me at least twenty minutes. Twenty minutes to comb your hair. Yeah, I gotta make sure it looks good. What do you do? Do you put some product in there? Is it I do. Yeah, a little bit of hair paste in the front, you know, just make it look flowing. Um, yeah. if I have like the side of my hair, it, it sometimes falls into my eyes. So, you know, like, this just, no, don't judge a book by its cover. Like you're right? in a blink one, two cover band. Yeah. I was thinking Shut up, know, mom and dad. something no, no. like pop. Garage, you know, my record my next single. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That was beautiful. That was well done. I made Johnny laugh. There we go. It's no Nickelback, but it is good. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> That's Johnny's favorite band. Big Nickelback guy. Johnny loves Nickelback. Whoa, Nickelback whoa. and Creed. Those are his okay. one and one A. Okay. I'm not going to take this slander. Rymir, big Nickelback fan. When he walked in on Thanksgiving, he walked walked in, looked at the dogs and said, I've got two questions. Where's the turkey and where's the Nickelback? That's what he said. <laughs> Pass me the karaoke mic. We only that, had that's one. what he said. We only had one of those two things. <laughs> that's funny. We had hey, turkey. We were all in lasagna. Oh, yeah, the lasagna was hidden. Ramir, now that you've had more time to reflect on your Thanksgiving meals, is it <laughs> he's hiding his face already? Do you do you at all want to change your mind or do you still think that the meal that you had at Johnny's was slightly better than the one you had here? John, you're just mad that you were in second place. You know, it's it's past Christmas now. We don't have to have him answer this question. That's funny. Well, I will say this. I went to a third house and that that plate was the best one that I had of the night. I literally sat there and ate it in the car and almost died from the heavenly goodness that was of that plate. So oh, that's, that's crazy. You know what that makes me that makes me feel better. That Why? makes you <laughs> lose me. No, it's just it. You and I'm so sensitive. We're we're on equal footing now. Who was it? Where, where was the third meal? I went to um my girlfriend's house. It was a delicious meal that I could not have replace who we had that we had the pleasure of meeting her in graduation correct yes yes so lovely person just you know provided you with a <laughs> glorious glorious thanksgiving meal so yes i mean well so johnny like our families like johnny's family my family we have stuff to work on for next year i guess yeah yeah um well first off i need some big mac and cheese too we were supposed to um, have baked mac and cheese this year and we did not we did not have it. That, that that knocks you down a couple rounds. Well, shout out, shout out to my my stepbrother in law Hal, who is a loyal. He's a St. Joe's grad, but he listens. He's a loyal listener to the scoop, and he will get a kick out of this because his grandfather normally makes mac and cheese. Didn't have it this year, so maybe I'll have to ask pops to make his mac and cheese next year. Maybe we'll get back to number one in the power rankings. I will say both both dishes have redeeming qualities. Johnny, them 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 sweet potatoes, the yams were amazing. And, mm -hmm. oh, <laughs> and um John the um the lasagna the lasagna was really really good. We had dogs for you too. You uh, yeah, to... it, it, they kind of balance each other out because Johnny got dogs too. Cooper yeah. Cooper wouldn't leave leave get out my face. Guys, ring <laughs> ring the bell. You know, there's no point in fighting. <laughs> there, you know, let's. Rymir enjoyed his time at all three places. He he said that. I know. You know? I there's know. no point just in have, semantics. Just some fun. Yeah, like I said last week, I love you for this. He made the most sincere effort to try to connect with, with George because George, God, God rest his soul, was very protective. And like I said, you have to be around George like three or four times before he really loves you. And Rymir just looked at him, just just hit him with the soothing voice and, and just tried just tried connecting with George and he hit him back down from him. So I, I love him for that. Famous number 20s, guys. Mark L. Fultz. Mark L. Fultz? He said famous. Famous. <laughs> He's famous, famous for being infamous. bad. Infamous. infamous. I can I can at least respect Markel because he has said like, "Hey, that the fans were behind me." And but this no, should be fair. this should be an easier one. A lot it of famous number twenties. What else we got? Johnny's I clearly shit. Johnny's clearly looking. He's clearly no, I'm not. I'm not. I, I wish I could show I'm you not. my screen. 
<laughs> I'm not. You could. You I, could share your screen right now, coward. Okay. Jesus, Declan. <laughs> I can't. Intimidate me. While he's doing that, it's a Brian little Dawkins. unnecessary to get that testy about it. <laughs> Brian Dawkins. That's Barry Sanders. Best running oh, back. I was going to say Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders was just was just an amazing running back to watch. Best running back of all time. I'm stamping it. If he didn't retire early, he had the rushing record. Yep. Declan, any any like NASCAR drivers that we're not aware of? There's one, but he's got some off the track incidents that I don't feel comfortable <laughs> saying his name. Uh, Ed Reed, though. Yeah. Ed Reed, number 20. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we got B Doc, Ed Reed, Mike Schmidt. Wasn't Frank Robinson number 20? I believe so. Brooks Robinson was number five. I've got a couple basketball ones for you. Who you got? I got uh you want trivia or you want just yes, yes, I love trivia. Kyle's not here this week. Be our be be our, our quizzo, our quizzo number guru. Okay. What you're reading this... from online. No, I am not. I actually I know these. Thank but you. But if you're doing if you're doing trivia, feel free to, to log on to the World Wide Web for this. I'm fine with that. Okay. I, love I mean, trivia. I'll just do it off the top of my dome, you know, okay. things I remember. My beanie dome, my beanie That's... uncombed hair dome. Yeah. Um this guy. Played for the Celtics in the Heat, and his no, play was one of the most famous Mike Breen calls of all time. Ray Allen, Ray Allen, Ray Allen. Ray Allen. And then this other guy, defensive Gary monster. Payton. What? Gary Payton. Gary Payton. Dang, right, man. I, I had thought of it, like, right after he said basketball, and I just knew it was coming. Yeah. You didn't even let me say his nickname is a – uh Clothing accessory. <laughs> I'm sorry. The glove. Any other any other trivia questions for us? No, those are the only the only ones I know. Just thought of another one. Okay. NBA again. Okay. Played on an Olympic basketball team with former Temple point guard Juan Pepe Sanchez. <laughs> was twenty the Olympic number? I don't think so. I, I think I think it was his number in the NBA. The, like an Olympic number or an all-star number is more like, that's more like a Javon thing. What yeah. country would that have been? It is south of here. Um, I can't guess the country. It's well, it's well south of here. Okay. Manu Ginobili. Yes. Oh, oh I was going to say Manu. Right here, guys. <laughs> Good guess. Good Bihar, guess. From Bahia Blanca, Argentina, just like Pepe Sanchez. Another number 20 that I just thought of, painful for Eagles fans. You guys were just... I don't know if you were. Yeah, you I, you were probably alive for it. Oh, oh I'm wow. not confident in the guess, though. Painful for Because I you, think this guy's, I think I don't like this guy's brother. Yeah, you're on the right track. Okay. Uh, I'll let you yeah. guys guess it. Yeah. Rondé Barber. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Let's talk about this Temple football team. Got some recruiting news to to talk about. And and again, there's there's a question later in the mailbag about how we feel about this recruiting class and some reasons to be optimistic for next year. They did pick up a verbal commitment, a high school verbal, as much as this has been, at least the the first installment of this class has been JUCO and, and portal heavy, as we've talked about. They they got a commitment last night from Tyree Alualu, a linebacker from North Allegheny High School. He had some pretty good offers as a junior. Oregon had offered him early on. He had Cincinnati, he had Navy, he had JMU, San Diego State. So he's an inside linebacker again. We talked about this last week. Obviously, as Ramirez said, teams will play a lot of nickel. They'll play additional formations off their base. But if they're moving to a 4-3, Tyree would be probably more of an inside guy, a middle linebacker. So he verbaled the Temple last night. Eric Stewart, an outside linebacker from Foothill Community College, has committed since last week's episode. He was one of the the visitors that we reported for subscribers last week. So if you subscribe to Al Scoop, you already knew about him. And then a couple of losses in the portal, Darvon Hubbard probably being one of the one of the the biggest ones. So, didn't you know? Kind of had a relatively quiet season two seasons ago, but uh, in a season where Jaquest Smith hit a wall and really didn't do much other than that Norfolk State game, and Kyle uh, Kyle Williams redshirt last year didn't see the field at all. Um, Darvon was their best back, four hundred twelve yards, three touchdowns, five yards of carry. So. That's a loss for them. I think last week when we were recording, we had talked about the offers that Victor Stoffel and Jalen McMurray had, had received. So Victor Stoffel ended up at Cal, and then Jalen McMurray ended up at Tennessee. So now you're starting to see you know, those first couple of guys transfer up uh, as opposed to 
some lateral moves like what you saw, you know, in conference from maybe from a guy like like EJ Warner. As a reminder, last week we told you guys that their safeties coach, the Temple part of ways with Marvin Klesador and their wide receivers coach, Jafar Williams, they're both out. And we talked about the fact that, of course, Football Scoop had reported that Tyron Carrier, who had been hired at Grambling by Hugh Jackson this past season, was Temple's new wide receivers coach. Now, Temple hasn't officially announced that yet. Antonio Jones, who was Grambling's leading receiver this past season, he announced his verbal commitment to Temple since we last recorded. So it would seem to be a, a, a pretty solid indication that Tyron Carrier is going to be on his way. And, and Antonio Jones is seemingly a pretty good pick up for them out of the portal so he's on the the smaller side 5'9 175 not a bigger receiver maybe he's fast enough to play outside but kind of has the body type for more of a a slot guy but you know had some decent numbers 43 catches 595 yards and two touchdowns last season had seven catches for 81 yards against LSU for what it's worth in the second week of the season so those seven catches were a season high for him we'll talk more in the mailbag about this football team, that'll be a more logical and natural place to to talk about it there, given the questions that we've gotten. As for this Temple men's basketball team, eight and eight overall, one and two in the American after Wednesday's 73-62 loss to ECU at the Leacor Center. That was the smallest crowd I have ever seen since the building opened. The yeah. it was, it was. I'm not, I'm not trying to be snarky. I'm not trying to be mean, but. They generously listed on the stat sheet an attendance of 2,003 fans. There's just no way. I don't know if that was tickets sold. I don't even think at opening tip there were 500 fans in the building. I went to my high school's basketball game, Spring Forward versus Procumon Valley, last night. There were more people at that high school basketball yeah. game by, like, a lot than mm-hmm. there were at the Temple basketball. It was it was bad. To be fair to Temple – and this is this is a stretch, you know, because they should be drawing a lot more than that. The the high school basketball atmosphere is really, really fun. You get people who really care. Last week, I got to see my friend Steve DePatry, who's the the girls coach at Wildwood Catholic. I'm I'm of the opinion that he is not just one of the best coaches in the state of New Jersey, but probably one of the better high school coaches in the in the country. He's won he I think he won two state titles at Sacred Heart in South Jersey before they closed. And now he's coached a lot of good players at Wildwood Catholic, got to see one of Steve's games last week, and it was just cool to be there. Their atmosphere is similar to, like, the gym you'd see at Hoosiers, and I'm sure Jolly White and Tosh Lee could talk about this. The one side of the gym is, like, super steep, and it has these support beams that come down, and and Wildwood Catholic beat abs again. It was a real fun game to watch, but, yeah, they probably had a better crowd, better crowd there. A lot of people in that community have known Ja for a long time, and we're happy to see that, that he's getting healthy again. That would probably be... The one bright spot for Temple is that they got Jaleel White back. Uh, and over the last two games, he scored 24 points, nine rebounds, uh, seven of nine from the line those two games since he's been back. You know, both off the bench, looks fairly confident. You know, looks like he's starting to get kind of get his rhythm back. And Adam Fisher's had a lot of different combinations with the starting lineup. We'll see what he does this weekend at North Texas. But the bad news, of course, is that on Wednesday, they very much reminded everyone of the deficiencies they have as a rebuilding program. And they just, you know, Heisey Miller did not have a good game. Quante Berry didn't have a good game. And they really just really didn't have answers at the defensive end. Particularly there was that what 14 to four run uh, in the, in the beginning of the second half, that was really part of a 28 to six run where you really took control of the game. Ezra Alsar and Brandon Johnson, 18 and 15 points apiece. Temple just had no answers for them, no answers for RJ Felton. Uh, Johnny, you were there. I mean, again, not like the takeaways from the game are are, are pretty <laughs> obvious, but what it, what did you think of what you saw from Temple Wednesday night? Yeah, I think you mentioned like you kind of said it how they reminded that it's still a rebuilding program. I do think though, I mean, in that the beginning of that first half, I mean, they had the lead for a little bit and mm-hmm. Jordan Riley and Hyser Miller both picked up two fouls with around seven minutes left. And after that, I think. I think the the stat that I had was after Jordan Riley subbed out with seven minutes left, Temple only scored seven minutes the rest of the half. Yeah, and said so they scored seven yeah. minutes, and it was like Jordan Riley had half the points at halftime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or close to it. So it, and and then after that, ECU had all the momentum and they carried it into the second half and pulled off that run, like you said. So it was kind of over from there. Yeah, and Shane Dazoni and and Jordan Riley were both really 
shut down the second half. You can see Jordan Riley. You can see, again, if you're looking for some some bright spots, not just for the sake of looking for him, I mean, you can see, you, you continue to see why he was recruited at the level that he was as a Big East level recruit and why he was able to play at Georgetown. I mean, he might be, I'd say athletically, he's probably as athletic as any guard in the American, probably one of the better athletes in the country, a guy that's really starting to get confident, driving to the rim, finishing at the rim. But it's just so, it's so easy for opposing teams to look around and say, okay, he really, and Quante Berry could maybe be a guy like this in the future. I think it's important to remember that, that Quante Berry is still, you know, 16 games into his redshirt freshman season. He's quick, but he's not as confident or as capable of finishing around the rim as Jordan Riley is. And so when you're out on the floor defending Temple and Matteo Piccarelli's out there, whether he starts or whether he comes off the bench, like that's the shooter close out on him. And I think that fans tend to forget that you've got a lot of complimentary pieces and, you know, we'll talk about this more in the mailbag. I think people just say, well, what can Adam Fisher do to reshuffle the deck? What can he do to get more out of this roster? Practice and play. That's all he can do. I mean, they need, they need more talent. Mm-hmm. And I think again, whether we're talking about the Eagles, whether we're talking about temple, whether we're talking about the Sixers fans desire results out of questions from the media and saying, well, what, what else can be done? It's like, they're a rebuilding program and the roster is just not good enough. You know, maybe in the future, a guy like, like Dylan Batie is probably a much better answer defensively for an Ezra Alsar or a Brandon Johnson. Those guys were really good ball players the other night. RJ Felton has turned into really one of the better guards in in the American. And these are guys that the ECU has been able to keep. So kudos to them for that. But I mean, they just, they really hit a wall and, and they just, you know, I think, Quante at one point just airballed an elbow jumper. High Sear struggled again, just didn't have the answers. Something else we'll talk about, which has been a, a popular topic, was that Zion Stanford sat again. Again, obviously he had a, some real nice games early on as a true freshman for Temple. Played really well against St. Joe's. He had a career high at 19 against St. Joe's back in December in the Big Five Classic Championship game. Had 19 against them. Yeah, he was averaging a shade over 12 points a game through Temple's first nine games. Had double figures in six of those nine games. He had 16, the win over Albany. You guys were up there for that game up the Barclays Center. And since that Albany game, he has not scored a single point since then. He's just played just 25 minutes over the next five games. Didn't play Sunday against Wichita State. Did not play once again Tuesday night. And so Adam Fisher has mentioned previously that that Zion has been dealing with a little bit of an ankle injury, but it's one that he had been playing with until the last two games. And so after the game Wednesday night, I just asked him, you know, is he still hurt or is this simply a case of him just not showing you enough in practice to merit more minutes? And this is what Adam told me in the post-game press conference. Adam, at this point, is, is Zion still hurt or is he just not showing you enough in practice to uh, he, again, it's go, he's a freshman. He's got to learn what it takes to compete at this level, and we got to see it in practice. He had a great day uh, yesterday, so that was great improvement for us. And uh, you know, he's got to continue to show that. Because it just kind of hit a wall. Because he's playing fairly well to start the season. What what happened between like the St. Joe's game, the Albany game, and now? Yeah, you know, I think obviously the the injury hurt, and he didn't practice a lot because we were out in Hawaii. So I think when you're a freshman, you miss that much practice. Um, it affects you, right? And he's a guy that there's no film on to start the season, right? No, you know, he's a freshman, and here he comes in. So, you know, I told him you've got to be able to, you know, defend and rebound. That's the first thing. And then offensively, you got to be able to move the ball. So he had a great day yesterday. Um, I know he's eager to help us. All right, so it's kind of, you know, I, I, this is kind of a, a common thing that, that some freshmen deal with, but it's going to be something that people continue to to – talk about and i think it's i mean i think i don't know agree or disagree with this guys i mean i think he's doing his best to kind of protect him in the media but i think he was probably as honest as he has been kind of basically just saying like hey it's time to you know time to kind of shed that soft outer shell you got to play more defense you got to rebound better and um you, know, you got some good basketball ahead of you but you know that first part of it he's got to learn what it takes to compete at this level i think that's the, the first case of really, you know, obviously we're not in practice every day, every week, certainly 
just like football, if we get access to practice, it's it's limited. That's a fairly common thing. But this is maybe the the first sign of Adam Fisher dealing with a guy where he's saying like, hey, I got to get more out of you. I'm being tougher on you here. So how do you guys see this playing out? Again, in the in the second part of the quote, he did say, you know, he had a good day of he had a good day of practice and we're encouraged by that. He had a great day yesterday, meaning Tuesday. I know he's eager to help us. So that'll be certainly something to watch this weekend when they're at North Texas. Whether it's basketball, football, hockey, baseball, um, same thing in professional leagues and rookie seasons, like all rookies hit a wall at some point and you're just going to have to deal with it and go through it and the whether it's ups or downs or it's him not establishing himself on the defensive end or him struggling on the offensive end and making buckets and just finding being in the right place, shot selection, but different things like that. You're, you're just going to have to work through it. I think to add on to that, I think the worst thing he could do right now is stop shooting, stop playing. Like that would stunt his confidence more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And I think Adam Fisher understands that too, you know, based on, on what we've heard from him, I think, and that really goes for all the guys in the lineup. Like, the worst thing that Fisher could do right now for his young guys is not show confidence in them. Mm-hmm. That is just going to – it's going to set the program off on the wrong foot. Mm-hmm. Other people outside of it are going to see that and not necessarily want to come in because they don't want to be in a program where the coach doesn't have confidence in them, especially somebody like Zion who was you know, basically starting toward the beginning of the season because he earned it like he – you know, he was playing so well. I just think he has to play through it because otherwise you're just going to, you know, that doubt's going to creep in and that's going to affect him even more in the long term. Yeah, I think this is like a tale as old as time. It happens a lot. I think it just draws a little bit more attention when you're rebuilding. Yeah, If Temple had returned Damian Dunn, Nick Jordan, Jamil Reynolds, players like that, and, and they were playing at a much higher level now and they didn't get hurt, in the transfer portal, this is not as much of a as much of a story, but because Temple's looking at him as a freshman who could contribute right away. Again, this is something that happens a lot, but I think it's I think Adam did a pretty good job of walking the line of saying, Hey, essentially I'm I'm paraphrasing here. I love you, I care about you, but starting to see some things where you need to you need to tighten up. Not that you're gonna be a perfect player, but showing the right amount of tough love, but not completely ripping him in the media. So again, Temple's going to hit the road for one of these two game road trips uh, in the American. It starts at North Texas. Temple's women's team, Diane Richardson, was really successful on their most recent two game road trip. Again, on the plus side, they go 2-0 and on that road trip. They beat Tulsa 58-48 to and then they routed Wichita State 72-49. to That win gave Diane Richardson her 100th collegiate coaching win. And they did it without Tiara East, Sue. So she should be back for the Memphis game this weekend. A real bright spot for them. The only downside the past week was that Keelmy McMiller picked Rutgers. So Temple was was in it there for a five-star recruit. But goes to show you that NIL plays a part. Rutgers, I think, has some more resources right now than Temple does. Again, not to take anything away from, from the Rutgers coaching staff up there. And of course, that that program is has been built on the you know on the legacy of Hall of Fame coach and Vivian Stringer as well. So Temple did not land Kiyomi McMiller. You guys obviously got the the chance to see her play. And we're really impressed with her. But here's this Temple team that over the past couple of games is really really playing some good basketball, and they really should be by this time next week preparing to to play for first place. In the conference standings, Memphis is not obviously you have, you got to play the games. Memphis is not that good. Temple's in a three way tie now for second place in the conference standings. They're three and one uh, with UAB and USF. They're hosting again a, a struggling Memphis team to say the least. They're own four in the American and four and eleven. So they do what they're supposed to do. They're going to improve to four and one. They should get Tiara East back. Charlotte's four and zero in the American, eleven and five overall, and they come to Temple next Sunday. And then after this weekend, Temple's going to have a full week to prepare for him. But you know, as Ramir pointed out on, on Twitter, I think it was today you had a tweet about this ever since Diane called out her team's defensive effort. They really, again, you could, you know, you could say, okay, were they playing top 25 teams? No, but they really, really clamped down 
defensively that, you know, holding Wichita State to five points in the first quarter, 15 in the first half, 28% shooting. They're in a good spot now. They're in a, a pretty good spot. And again, like for them to be playing next week, if they do what they're supposed to do, playing for first place in the, in the, the conference standings is a real, real plus for them. How did they get here from from last week to to this week? What what have you guys seen from this team to to get them to this point? Because they're playing some pretty good basketball now. In reality, I think it was the comeback win against Tulsa. Like it kind of made them believe that like they're the team that they thought they were coming into the season. They were able to regain that confidence that they had, and just they're playing defensively at an insane level. The amount, the intensity, and the aggressiveness that they're playing with, able to force turn- turnovers in the players' faces and just score in transition as well. I think that's such a big thing that they're really good at. And they're also good at defending in transition because the one downside to that game against Wichita State was the amount that they turned the ball over. But Wichita State wasn't able to capitalize on it at all. They were able to stop them in transition and limit those points off of their turnovers. So I just I think the regain confidence from that Tulsa game was so huge. And, and now this is a team that was projected to be ninth in the conference in the preseason polls. And now the fact that they have a chance to they're tied for second, have a chance to be playing for first next week, I think is such a huge thing for them. And yeah, Johnny, you're 100% right. But on top of that, I think confidence has been such a big thing for them this year. And then to see them come out against Wichita state who has had a like fairly decent season and could be a okay team and to see temple to just flatten them you know, not even give them a shot at winning that game. I think that was huge too. And going wire to wire, especially that is going to be probably the key turning point that went in Tulsa, you know, that, that feels like the kind of game where we look back on it and we're like, that was the moment they turned it on everything that we had been asking from them, you know, who's going to be the clear scorer, who is going to, you know, find their role on defense, who's going to step it up. That was answered. And to do it without Tiara East, especially in that Wichita State game was huge because that's their leading scorer. They still found ways to get to the basket. And then that open opportunities up on the outside. Everything was clicking on all cylinders. That's exactly the momentum they needed to hit. We'll see if it carries on. Like you said, John, Memphis is not anything special so far this year. They've struggled, but it's, you know, competing with those top teams that they haven't been able to get over the hump in recent years. If they can finally do that over this next month and a half, who knows, man? We might be taking a longer trip in uh, Fort Worth. Worth. I couldn't think of the town, Fort Worth, than we have in the past couple of years. Well, one thing I want to ask you guys about, and we, we touched on it last week before we get to the, the mailbag here. I mean, ever since she got to Temple, Diane Richardson talked about the equal opportunity offense, equal opportunity offense, to the point where I would like tease you guys last year and saying, like, this is in every single one of your leads. But again, she talked about it all the time. And you guys last week touched on the fact that I don't know how else to say it. Not that it might be a detriment, but to say like, hey, they spread things out so much that you might need to refine things down to a couple of people that you look for and crunch time. Did something good come out of this where, again, Tiara East is their leading scorer, but there are a lot of capable scorers on the roster. Does something good come out of that? Obviously, anytime you you win two on not just two in the road or two in a row, but two on the road without your leading score that's a good thing to to win when you're shorthanded but does something good come out of that where you say okay we discovered some more confidence in a couple of other players do you start do you guys start to see now a couple other capable scores emerging to where you can stay in crunch time it's not just going to be like hey work the ball around there are a couple of other people they can go to who are you guys seeing now that's starting to emerge more what came out of these last two weeks where that's concerned where you're starting to see maybe a couple more players emerge that weren't before I think the obvious answer is Tristan Taylor. She's their spark plug off the bench. She's consistently been their best scorer. Mm-hmm. Or like not not in terms of numbers, but in terms of if they need a bucket, she's usually the one to get it. And now I'm st- you're you're starting to see like when she comes in off the bench like all right, it's her ball. Like let mm-hmm. her do what she has to do. And like everyone else just work around her, work within the offense. But I think if, you know, if she, if she continues like on the path that she's on, like they'll be fine when, you know, Aaliyah needs a break or if, you know, she's off or Tiara is off. And then Demi Washington has been big too as well. You know, she was still looked like she was trying to find her role 
every now and then in the in the past few games, but recently she's really stepped it up. She had her career high in their last game, 20 points. She just was unstoppable. She is somebody that, and I don't know if she should be a starter or not. I, I, they have like seven people that could start at any point. Um, that's up to up for debate and up for matchups and, and whatnot. But she's really good both in the starting role and off the bench. If she can keep scoring consistently and continue to be a threat, uh, that that helps tremendously. And then, Ramir, like you mentioned, Tristan Taylor, last week we talked about can Tristan Taylor and Aaliyah Nelson play yeah. at the same time. They showed they could. They both were dominating down the stretch. That was a big reason that they pulled away against Wichita State was Tristan Taylor and Aaliyah Nelson being that sort of one-two punch that we didn't expect. So maybe that's a new wrinkle that they found, you know, if they're trying to generate some offense, getting two, for all intents and purposes, ball-dominant guards in the same backcourt and just let them go to work, see what they can do. So that was also just another interesting wrinkle, I thought, out of uh, out of Wednesday's contest. And encouraging for Diane and her staff, too, to be able, like, when they continue to, to head out on the recruiting trail and say, hey, Tristan Taylor's a, a true – freshman look at what she's doing for us right now already and demi washington of course is on the on the opposite side of the spectrum as a, a grad transfer out of vanderbilt but yeah playing some really really good basketball we'll see what they do this weekend against memphis and again they'll have a big big game next weekend at home hopefully people will turn out for it uh and give them a good crowd to play in front of against charlotte playing for first place in the american let's head to the mailbag got some stuff to get to here again appreciate the questions, as always, the first one looks like a, a new subscriber, our first-time mailbag questioner, we should say, Chris Simp, 85. Can each of you give me three reasons to be positive for this upcoming football season? So this is one of the things I was alluding to earlier when I said there would be more football talk. I think there are three reasons to be positive for the upcoming football season. I'm not trying to sugarcoat who they've lost. I'm not trying to uh, dress up two, three, and nine seasons. I'm being realistic, but I, I've got three that I could that I could go to. But Ramir, I'll start with you. We'll go around the horn. I'll, I'll finish up. One, I think if the NFL has taught me anything, when people people's backs are against the wall, they usually perform like whether it's a contract year or they playing slash coaching for their job. Stan might be in that situation this year, and I think that allows him to like show like okay i'm the guy and i can actually turn this around so i think hope that he can do that is one two i would say something new is a new era like all of the guys who you know you come to know as temple football players jordan mcgee jalen mcmurray victor stoffel dmr guys like that they're gone now so it's a new era so you got something to look forward to and it's like draft season. It's like, all right, who who am I going to get and who are we going to get? And I can't wait to see, you know, these players when they get on the field. So just, just a new just a new era, I guess, of Temple football and Temple football players, rather. Three, um, they move into a 4-3, I guess, because I, I feel as though that's probably within their best interest. Yeah. Because the 3-4 obviously showed that it, it, it wasn't working enough in terms of, you know, generating um, pressure and sack numbers. They went from first in the American to like eighth, I believe in, in sex. So mm -hmm. those, those three things. I would say as a fan, number one, it's going to be an interesting off season because nearly every position is up for grabs. So, you know, it's, it's all going to be question marks and, you know, training camp feels like it's going to matter a little extra maybe. So that's exciting. That's pretty cool. Uh, number two, they'll play Oklahoma. That's that's sick. You get to watch Oklahoma. But now, seriously, number three, there's a lot of young guys that are going to have a chip on their shoulder. And we talk a lot about how Temple is at a disadvantage in NIL with, you know, a lot of Juco players coming in and this maybe isn't their first option and they're looking for a stepping stone type thing. And that is a disadvantage, like no question about it. But I think it would be interesting to see if, a lot of these players aren't a little more hungry and a, mm -hmm. like a chip on their shoulder type thing. And, yep. you know, maybe we'll see a little bit of a different atmosphere around this team where it's, you know, everybody's just trying to survive. And uh, I think that would be not a, I think it'd be a welcome mentality. I think that kind of, you know, blue collar type toughness and every down matters, I think is going to be 
almost a, a breath of fresh air for this team. So I could see where that would be something to look forward to as well. Johnny? I think for my first one, it's kind of along the same lines as Ryan and Declan both said. There's a lot of new faces and there's a positions up for grabs. I mean, just like we mentioned earlier, Darvon Hubbard leaving, that leaves a spot open for Joe Quest Smith, who hit a wall last season, or Kyle Williams, who didn't see the field at all, to kind of step up. And I mean, that could be exciting in the running back room. Number two, I think new faces in general. I think it could be very refreshing. I think it, they could. I kind of along the same lines as Ramir. I feel like there's very limited reasons. So I'm going to be kind of echoing what they're saying, but just the, the excitedness of like, if someone makes a cool play or like you, you start to see someone new, you're like, Oh, who's that? And you can fall in love with whatever new players are here. That's always exciting. If you can find new people to latch on to number three, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm struggling with number three. <laughs> You got a lot of great coverage from Al Scoop. I, <laughs> I don't know. That's fair. Johnny, you got to be genuine. You got to be honest. If there's not a solid number three, then I don't got 66% of the way there. there. There we go. I mean, technically we gave you a nine. So what, what else do you want? You yeah, I, yeah, I would echo a lot of what you guys are saying. One of the first things I think of is moving to a four, three. And on top of that, Everett Withers having a full, offseason to coordinate this defense i think that when you come into the program come back to the program i should say again he was around as we, we answered this question last week do you expect to change the defensive coordinator we don't everett withers help stand piece together this this coaching staff he had a heavy influence on him and i think he had a heavy voice and a, and a very present voice in that first season as the chief of staff Everett's been a head coach before, and no, I wouldn't expect any Temple fan to be happy with what they saw defensively last year. They were shorthanded. I think that Everett Withers is a bit of, if not a much better football coach than people are giving him credit for, and him having a full recruiting cycle and offseason to you know, coach to and recruit to the system that he wants, provided they can stay healthy if kj miles comes back healthy if alan hay comes back healthy if some of the the players from the recruiting class particularly the linebackers they've been so linebacker heavy in this class if they're healthy again it's a low bar to set because they were really bad on defense this year i, I think they're going to be better so i think everett weathers having a full year to prepare coaching to and recruiting to a four three as a base for them I think is something to look forward to. I, I think there is something too, like you guys are saying, it may sound like a cheesy cliche intangible, but no, they do not have anywhere close to the NIL war chest of an Alabama, a, an Oregon, a Texas, a whatever. They're nowhere near that. They're nowhere near getting the help that they need. But I do think that there could be a very healthy thing to this. Hey, like when teams have... Like Ramir said, when you when your your backs are against the wall and you start reciting some of these cliches, when they have something that they can unite behind, that could be a really good thing for them, especially with a lot of junior college players. I'm not saying that all of them are going to work out, and sure, it's a great thing when you can utilize what Al Golden and Matt Rule did, where you recruit, 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 you you hit the tri-state area hard, you have your footprint. Those days are over. They're not. I'm not saying you don't recruit good high school players. And I've got some uh, later on in the mailbag that I think they're going to be good for Temple. But I, I think there could be a very healthy, encouraging thing to that mentality of this is our last stop and we're going to try to prove a lot of people wrong. And I think generally some good things can can come out of that. So those, I know that's not three for me, but I mean, I think that you guys hit on a lot of, a lot of good ones there. So, and again, got some more football stuff coming up here in the next Mailbag question comes from the screen name Hoots a lot. Now Hoots a lot later on in the in this mailbag thread said, "Oh, okay, I realized I could have looked up the answer here, but I told Hoots a lot that we could still talk about this because I think a lot of people don't know about the resources at Temple." But the original mailbag question here from Hoots a lot was: During this week's national championship game, the announcers made reference to University of Michigan sports psychologist who was shown talking to JJ McCarthy. It got me thinking. Do Temple athletes have access to sports psychology services? Background story. During the Bobby Wallace era, kicker Jared Davis's performance collapsed midseason. One year, which cost the team a few wins. 
And I felt pretty confident the problem was more in his head than with his mechanics. But that seemed like a one-off at the time. And mental health issues seem far more pervasive in today's society and likely to seep into athletics. So one of our subscribers pointed out that Temple, yes, does have resources. Stephanie Coakley, Dr. Stephanie Coakley is there. So yes, they do have access to it. And I think a lot of that was built with the help of of Pat Kraft, but when he was Temple's athletic director before he left for BC, and now he's at Penn State, of course. But you generally hear a lot of student athletes at Temple speak very highly of her and, and the help that they get there. So yes, Temple does have Temple's athletes, their student athletes have access to to those services. So yes, but you know, I told Hoots a lot. Yeah, you know, again, he was saying, "Oh, I could have looked that up," but no, I think it's something important to talk about on the pod that maybe people don't know about. So yeah, generally you hear a lot of a lot of positives from the student athletes about the the help that they receive at Temple. Uh, next question here comes from Temple fan Al from the message boards. Attendance for the ECU game was awful. The team's not doing great, but we are still 500. Is winning really the only solution? I, but I'll tip this over to you guys first as two current Temple students and one very recent Temple graduate. You guys see it from both ends. You see it as reporters who have really covered this beat for a few years now, and you know it inside and out. And you're also students, right? Mary, you've lived in the neighborhood your whole life, and you've seen probably seen people walking in and out of the Leah Course Center. And and Temple's not a Penn State. It's not a it's not a Michigan. It's not a Maryland. It's its fan base, as we've talked about a million million times over, kind of operates like a pro sports fan base. When they're they're hot, people are in on them. When they're not, people look for any excuse not to to get to a game and, and marketing experts, I'm sure we'll try to figure this out for years to come. Is winning really the only solution for attendance or can more be done? Well, one, yes, winning solves everything. So whatever problems you have within your organization, winning will solve it. And attendance is one of those things. I think in terms of general interest from like non-students, absolutely. I've always said that if you are from North Philly, you have a general rooting interest in Temple sports. Well, mainly, you know, the the revenue sports, at least. And if they are good, you will pay attention to them. And I know this because it happened to me when I was younger. When Mm -hmm. Temple, like, you know, that 2013, 2014, 2015, when Temple was winning, I had the alerts on my phone because they they were playing well and they were winning. But when when that kind of like, you know, fizzled out and stopped, you know, the alerts weren't coming to my phone anymore. So general North Philly, yes, people will come to the games if Temple was winning. In terms of students, like you, you, you do got to take into consideration that it is still winter break. So people aren't really on campus, but you're still going to have to win for people to want to show up, regardless whether it is a student or just a resident of North Philadelphia. And we saw it with the Houston game last year, right? I mean, that was, that was a really, really fun atmosphere. And then Houston eventually just pulled away and you saw like, damn, they're really, I mean, we all knew that Houston was really good and they're really good this year, but I mean, they really just pulled away from Temple, but that was a really fun atmosphere that that was a lot more commonplace in the early 2000s. Obviously, there was a lot of nostalgia and great stuff with the the opening of the Leah Core Center back in 1997, but that was a lot more the atmosphere that we had grown accustomed to, and we saw that was possible last year. Yeah, real quick about that Houston game, there were two reasons why that building was filled. One, the game didn't need much promotion because – You've got one of the best teams in the country coming in after Temple had beat them on the road. Like that Mm -hmm. game sells itself. No wonder fans would show up. But number two, from the second that final whistle hit, the final buzzer sounded and Temple beat Houston, Athletics was promoting the heck out of that game. Like it was all over social media. Which which they should. That's their job. That's what I'm saying. They made that game feel really important to students that otherwise would not have known or cared. Right. They were all over social media. There were people all over campus saying, come to the building, come watch this game like this is going to be big. And Adam Fisher understood that, too, at the beginning of the year when he tried to he did the pizza voucher thing. Right. Like that was probably one of the most full arenas of the year, that first game of the season. So I think it's it's twofold. You you know, winning obviously cures everything, like Rymir said, and every game feels important. But for the games that don't feel important, they have to find ways to make it feel important whether it's like you know dollar dog night like stupid promotional stuff that get people in the building in the seats and actually see this team and maybe they'll pull out a win and the fan that you know was like i'm not gonna go to a basketball game why would i go to a basketball game 
sees that they win and says, oh, you know, maybe this team is good. Maybe I'll come back. You know, maybe this team fights. Like, maybe I'll come watch it again. So I think it's it's all about getting people in the building and curing that sort of apathy toward this team that we said it is in a rebuild, is not going to do anything huge. But athletics needs to find a way to make people care about each and every game so they get into the arena and actually support this team so that in the future they play meaningful games in February and March. But, you know, that's a whole other challenge in and of itself. I think you're going to see some things next season when it comes to basketball. I think that you have two coaches in Adam Fisher and Diane Richardson who really do want to get behind being and not I'm not talking about them being egomaniacs or anything like that. I'm talking about coaches who really do want to get involved and say, how can I help? I mean, I know for a fact that Adam and his staff have ideas about how they can creatively launch the schedule about involving fans, involving faculty, things that I think will, again, I'm not a, I'm not an idiot. Winning will certainly help. And I think there'll be a better basketball team next year. And people will be legitimately curious about Aiden Tobias and, and Dylan Batie. We keep seeing it, keep saying it every week. They're, they're really having really good senior seasons. You guys had the chance to go down and see Aiden, you know, how good he is. He's continuing to play well. We'll probably go down and see him a couple more times before his season is over, which I know will make Declan happy. That just that seemed to perk your interest there. Heading back, yeah, you know he beat up on my alma mater, which was cool to see. But uh, Sleazy he, Adams is good though, right? That was a really good game. Yeah, it's former state champions last yeah. last year's state champions defending. Yeah, yes. but Savannah Curry too will put you know, especially mm-hmm. for the the local fans, she'll put people in seats too. She's having a really good season at Westtown. So the women played before winter break, so you know almost a month ago, which is crazy. The women played a game at 11.30. It was an 11.30 tip, and it was like a a school day. And that was probably one of the loudest crowds, men or women, all season. And it was just school kids coming into the building with a reason to be there. And they were Mm -hmm. excited, and there was good energy, and the players were feeding off of that. Mm -hmm. It it doesn't have to just be Temple students. Like, this, the city has such a, a vibrant and, like, passionate, basketball fan base and if they can find a way to tap into the people of the community as well and not just cater to you know the apathetic temple student that maybe isn't going to care about a game on a school night like that should be a big part of you know their marketing as you mentioned john their their strategy going forward you got to incentivize people to want to come to your games especially if you're not performing well and like you talked about with the promotions or like maybe it's a you know a dollar dog night or or just something along those lines. When your team is winning, you don't really need to incentivize somebody to come because it's like, oh, we're going to go see, you know, Temple basketball play, and, you know, they're already good. So we we might, we we going to see a good game regardless. But, like, if they get them in here in, in another bottom-tier AAC team, then it's American team, then it's kind of like you, you got to incentivize people to come. And whether it's promotions or you talk to different schools and be like, you know what, we'll come down, come down to the Leah course center. And even if you got to, you know, pay for transportation to, to get like a, a, a field trip type thing for them to come down and, and just watch a game, like just, just to get people in the building, like you, you have to do something. One thing that I legitimately think of, and I, I promise I don't mean this in any sort of snarky or condescending way, but I, I, I just think it's something that, that should be talked about. Some, Fans and graduates have asked me about it. Like back in August, Arthur Johnson and Athletics, they released what they call their vision and values. But I haven't seen any mention of a strategic plan beyond that. And now maybe there is, and they just haven't made it public. But you know, with organizational growth, whether it's a, a, a college organization, a you know, professional organization, someone in the business world, typically once you establish a vision and mission. You typically follow that up with a strategic plan that internally your employees know about and externally, I think oftentimes people would know about. Again, maybe they have one that we don't know about, but I don't know what the goals or actionable steps are out of that. And one of them would have to pertain to marketing and attendance. Who are your local regional and national benchmarks or aspirant institutions? What can you do? that hasn't been done before on a limited budget. And we know that winning helps. 
Again, we saw that with Houston last year. And I, I know to be fair that this athletics administration is facing challenges that others haven't when it comes to the budget. But I just don't know what their goals are beyond their vision and values. And I think that's an important thing for them to figure out because any organization after the vision and mission, then it's what what's our strategic plan? What are our smart goals that are strategic, measurable, actionable, just all that stuff? Like, and how do you assess growth? I don't know what's being done there. And maybe they are doing stuff, like I said, that we don't know about, but some of that has to pertain to marketing. So I'm just curious as to what's going to come out of come out of that in the future. Do they have a strategic plan? Are they going to talk about it? Are they going to release it? And what part of that strategic plan pertains to marketing and some of the stuff than the ideas that you guys have? I, I would be mildly surprised if they don't have another school day or another community day. I, I've, I've been told that some of their ticket numbers for the upcoming games are a little bit better, but if I was sitting next to, to my friend, Jeff Nyberg from the Inquirer, who's a Temple grad, and he looked up and said that the, the the 50 50 tonight was 345 dollars that's not that's not good you know again i'm not trying to be snarky or unrealistic i was not expecting a sellout wednesday night was not it's again the students aren't back this is a rebuilding team they're playing ecu the average temple fan probably could not name a single player on ecu's roster we've 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 talked about this at length i get it but i, I am curious to know what the plan is, like the strategic plan, the actionable goals and steps beyond their vision and values. What comes out of that? It's easy after a while to get your key stakeholders together and say, this is our vision. These are our values. Great. Where do you go from there? I'm curious to see what athletics has coming out of that. A couple more questions from the mailbag to finish us off here. Temple fan Al, the second question that Temple fan Al has here. In general, why are starters at the G5 level transferring to P5 schools to be backups well one they might not be backups like these these p5 schools like they they lose players all the time whether it's to each other or to to a g5 school or the nfl draft or something along those lines like these schools like continuously rotate talent and <clears throat> you have to look in different places to get talent whether it is high school whether it is other p5 schools or whether it's g5 you poach a g5 starter from a, um you know from a you poach a starter from a g5 school so they they might not transfer up to be, you know, backups. And it's like they, they want an opportunity to compete and yeah. to to eventually get to what and the ultimate goal of the NFL draft. Like every I can promise you, every player in college football, P5, G5, D2, D3 wants to get to the league. So of course you would take that next step up. You all you do, you're betting on yourself, getting yourself another opportunity. Yeah, and, and beyond that. Time, place, and circumstance matters too, right? So I'm set to give some some responses to Ryan Sylvia with the Tennessee rival site, ballreport.com. And he's doing a Q&A with me with Jalen McMurray. And he asked some questions from me, like about his strengths and weaknesses. Do you think his play will translate to the SEC? And he's a good case study here. Jalen McMurray earned the single digit, did not have a great season for Temple this past season, to be fair, there's a lot that goes into that. Do I think that Jalen McMurray right now is playing like a future NFL cornerback? No, but Marvin Klesador is gone, which tells you that Stan Drayton was not happy with the coaching and mentorship that he provided at safety. So when you have, and I'm not espousing rocket science here, when you have communication issues on the back end, as they talked about a lot, that's not helping Jalen McMurray. And I know it sounds cliche, but when you don't have the chance to watch film, you don't know. And unless you're in those meetings, you don't know who's responsible for what. And so I don't all of a sudden think that Jalen McMurray became a terrible football player. I think part of the reason why he earned a single digit was because of who he is off the field, because of his work ethic. He is a very likable, very determined, outstanding young man off the field. And I wouldn't be totally shocked to see him succeed. At Tennessee, again, do I think he saw Gardner? No. And maybe he never plays in the NFL. But sometimes G5-level players are transferring up to P5 schools to have better talent around them and say, like, hey, if I've got better safety talent behind me and I know I can trust the back end of my defense, I'm going to be better and more confident in coverage, whether that's on the outside, whether that's in the slot, wherever. 
So that I think is part of also what's at play. And again, I don't profess to to be sitting there watching film with Tennessee staff, but I'm sure they saw something in Jalen Murray to say like, Hey, this kid's an sec level player. So, so much of it. And we can talk, we'll talk about that in the next question here. I, I'm not entirely sure that Evan Simon's not going to be a, a pretty successful quarterback at Temple, even though he didn't win the starting job from Gavin Wimsat. What can, what can Danny Langsdorf get out of him? You know, it's just, we see it all the time. Like guys work out in certain places because the atmosphere is better, because the coaching is better, because the circumstances around them are better. So I think that's another reason beyond, you know, in addition to what Ramir said, why they, they transfer to P5 schools may not be backups. They may either A, earn the starting job or B, they get the starting job because somebody gets hurt. And then before you know it, they're playing with confidence, uh, a kid like a Jalen McMurray or like a Victor Stolfo, maybe he goes out and plays really well against Oregon and says, I'm as good as I thought I was, maybe even better. And now I can play in the NFL. So I think there are a lot of reasons. The next question here from Twitter, from Off the Hook 3, again, one of our loyal longtime listeners. How do you view this recruiting class so far? A lot of production has been lost from a 3-9 and team. Has Temple done enough to get more than three wins next season? Thank you for giving us Temple fans an outlet. Thank you to you, Off the Hook 3, for listening as often as you do. We talked about this a little bit more last week. We say it all the time. takes a couple of years to truly judge a recruiting class. And I, you can't even really judge recruiting classes now the same way you did before because the recruiting classes are so different. They come and go. A lot of, a lot of portal movement. Do you think this is a recruiting class that can push them to? I'm, I'm kind of amending off the hook three's question here. Between the portal guys, between the high school guys, is there reason to think that, that this recruiting class can help them get beyond three wins next season? I'm going to say no, and I don't think it's because of the recruiting class, but more so because of who they lost. I put out a tweet the other day that said, like, after um Darvon announced that he was going into the portal, Temple has lost major contributors seemingly every week. Like, since December started, it feels like every week they've lost another major contributor in some way, shape, or form. And when you when you look at it and you like break it down and you like, okay, who they lost, they may have lost like their top seven or eight players this offseason. And who do you include in that group? So you got Stoffel, Darvon. Well, I, I don't know if Darvon's there, but definitely Stoffel, EJ, um, mm-hmm. Jordan McGee, Yvonne Rigby, Taiwan Francis, um, Jalen Murray, and maybe, maybe Darvon or maybe like Rich Rod or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rich Rod's out of eligibility. Darvon's in the portal. EJ's in the portal. Yeah. Jordan and Vandy going to the, going to hoping to be drafted. DMR, DMR is the, the yeah. other one. Yeah. Um, and even even Ahmad, even Ahmad Anderson, mm-hmm. he like they they lost a, a substantial sure. amount of talent this offseason. And whether whether it is to the portal or to graduation or the NFL draft, they they lost a lot of talent this offseason. And when you lose that much talent, how much of it is going to be, you know, replenished with guys from JUCO programs or from high school. So not necessarily to the detriment of not detriment, but not 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 to rake on, you know, the recruiting class and saying they're not good enough. Cause I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't that's not something I can say right now. But the fact that they lost so much talent at the top, I don't know how much they can do to recover from it. Yeah, I'm going to take the a bit of an optimistic opposing view to this again. I mean, I obviously, Mir, there's a ton of validity to everything you said. I do think on paper that this is a pretty solid class and maybe even at the high school level. Kyle mentioned this, holding on to a, a very good receiver like Tyler Stewart at, at Jones County High School down in Georgia was big. Again, he's a smaller guy, 5'9", 170, so maybe he's a slot guy. Or again, maybe he's truly fast enough to, to play on the outside. But he was really fast and really productive and a good conference and a good area of the country. They went down to, to Tampa Jesuit to get a, a very good receiver down there. And Bryson Goodwin, who's 6'2", 180 pounds. Tampa Jesuit is where they got Jaquest Smith. For When you're looking at Bryson Goodwin, his father, Howard Goodwin, is the, the run game coordinator on the Bucks staff that's currently scheming up a game plan that will likely beat the Philadelphia Eagles, Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles yes, on Monday yes. night. They, they uh, will lose. Yeah. He and, uh, and, and he and Bryson's uncle, Jonathan Goodwin, both played at Michigan. Jonathan was a pro ball offensive lineman. So he's coming from a great family, good football family. Again, you know, he, Bryson's got to come in and improve himself, but they're bringing in 
some high school talent there at receiver who you think could could potentially contribute mm-hmm. again we'll find out in august was a little surprised i hate to go off topic here i thought richard dandridge would pick up a better destination than youngstown state but i guess not when they lost him in the portal i thought uh that kind of stinks super fast was on the on the border of like getting a miami offer and i don't know if if other programs out there really need to see him prove himself because he hasn't played a college game yet. Obviously he had a season yeah. injury before, before the year. So we'll see what, what happens for him. But going back to this question, you heard Stan Drayton mentioned that he thinks they have two players, a corner and Adrian Lang and Denzel, Ch- Denzel Chavis, excuse me. You could come in uh, right away and compete for jobs at that position. Again, they're true freshmen, but they've got some pretty decent size. Their corner. They're both six, one around 170, 175. Uh, two guys from, from North Jersey. who have known each other for a long time. Stan mentioned them when I asked him, like, you know, who pops out to you? They'll, they'll standard like, hey, we love everyone in our class, but these are some of the names. Coaches always want to be as political as possible and say, I love all my guys, but these were a couple of the guys that, that came up to him. And I think that, you know, I think they saw the defensive backfield and said, we don't exactly love everyone we have here. And if you're if you're using the term of, like, recruiting over certain guys, Adrian Lang and Denzel Chavis could come in and potentially play right away. Malsapalu, I think, is a guy that, a definite plug and play guy who could really contribute at guard to just be fair and honest guys like, and again, like Jackson Pruitt's career is not written yet. He could get better. Guys do get better. We know that, but guys like Jackson Pruitt, Bryce Holman, they they were just getting blown off the line of scrimmage too often last mm-hmm. year to the point where I walk on like John Fagley, who, who entered the portal, they were really getting beaten at guard in the interior. We know how much that collapses the pocket, how much it really destroys anything you want to do on offense. A guy like Miles Apollo, who they really seem to like, again, if he can make a difference, how much better does that make that line? I'm not, I'm not saying they all of a sudden become the best offensive line in the American, but I think he's a guy that could help. And like I said before, I, I'm really intrigued to see what Evan Simon can do under Danny Langsdorf. Again, I'm not trying to downplay at all what EJ Warner did. It was fun to watch. But if you want to just debate this and have some fun with it, Evan has a better better size, better mobility at 6'3", 205, stronger arm. We'll see if he really does, like we talked about earlier, that proverbial chip on his shoulder that Stan Drayton talked about. So I do think on the surface that there are some reasons where you could look at this class and say, hey, I think that there are some guys in this class between the high school recruits, between the JUCO guys, between the portal guys, that they could be – some potential difference makers. We, of course, will see. So big thank you, of course, to my guys, Ramir, Declan, and Johnny for for joining me and to all of you for listening. Once again, we'll have more football, more hoops. If you're an Scoop subscriber, and if you haven't subscribed yet, as Declan likes to say, what are you doing? We've got some recruiting news for you on the football board. Another visitor coming in. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode. We'll be back with you next week. Have a great weekend. Enjoy yourselves out there and we'll talk to you soon.